Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for jumping on for another episode of the Access Potential Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Messina King, globe traveling burlesque dancer extraordinaire. We're going to talk about all things small business, social media, and really importantly, I think, is this concept of confidence. I see this come up all the time with small business owners, whether it's in marketing, sales, delivery. Uh, how do I build confidence? How do I become more confident? And Cena is the master of this. So without further ado, let's jump in. This is John Marsh. You're listening to the Access Potential Podcast. Uh, very excited this morning. It's 9.40 here in Newcastle. I'm sitting down via Zoom with Miss Sina King, or Sina King, she is currently ranked number 22 most influential burlesque star in the world uh, and voted Australia's most glamorous showgirl. So Sina travels the world performing burlesque, and I'm really excited to sit down and do some deep dives into a lot of different things. One, her business. Two, um, I think there's going to be a lot of value here on the social media and online platforms and kind of this concept of interacting with your audience. And then I think uh, the one thing that I'm most excited about because I see this play out every single day in small business is this concept of confidence. Um, and you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about that, but we're going to go straight into that because uh, Sina exudes confidence and this sort of power when you see her, um, I haven't seen you perform, Sina, but obviously across social and other platforms. So I'm really, really excited. Thank you so much for carving out the time in your day and sitting with us. My absolute pleasure. I'm a big John Marsh fan, so it's a, uh, it's a privilege to be here. Yeah, very exciting. I've been thinking about this uh, episode for a while, so really glad that it lined up and really cool that we can make it happen and connect even in this kind of still sort of isolation kind of thing. Maybe give us a little bit of... Um, a little bit of a just a update at the moment like what's happening for you obviously with performing arts and a lot of these things there was a big change um as for a lot of small businesses as well what's life like for you at the moment where you base what kind of work do you do now or how are things going for you at the moment so with the isolation uh myself and i'd say 99 percent of my colleagues are out of work um all our work involves working with people directly um, through audiences and live performances. We are able to teach and mentor still online, um, so that's good. Um, for me, I also create costumes and elaborate props and um, giant king-size boas. Yes. So I'm able to still do that from my home studio, so that's good. So that keeps me busy. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I'm just keeping busy uh, thinking, thinking about things that actually aren't performing for once, which is nice. Yeah, cool. So I always love to find out a little bit more about people's backstory, origin story, kind of um, what drives them, what brings them maybe to the point where they're at and what kind of got them into the work that they do. And I'd love if there's anything you could share. I mean, how did you, as you sit here today on the um, in the conversation, kind of like, what led to this point? How did you get into burlesque, into performing, um, into entertainment, into this whole area, this whole world? What did things look like and where did that kind of come from? Sure. Well, I grew up uh, studying dance from five years old. When I say study, I was just going to the local dance school and just dancing my heart out every weekend. Um, and we know we'd have an end of year concert. And that went on till I was about, actually till I was about 21. Um, I'm now 39. So during that time um, of gap, I spent about 10 years not dancing, so not studying and so not having an, any outlet of creativity. Um, I worked in the corporate world. I worked in banking and finance, real estate, very masculine dominated industries um, and really sort of squashed that creativity down and and it was because of that, actually, that I kind of propelled forward and went, no, I need to do this. It was, it was coming out of my pores, you know. My, my boss was like, I had two bosses in a row say, why don't you go and do entertainment? <laughs> um, because I was dancing around the office and I was singing all the time and I was always dressing up. And 
you know, I was always an entertainer. You, you couldn't really hold that back. So I kind of uh, decided to leave that uh, world and I just took a leap of faith. Um, I just invested in myself in time and money and put it towards preparing for a national competition called Miss Burlesque Australia. Um, it had only been running for one year when I discovered it and it was six months until the competition was running. And so I prepared for six months um, ferociously, all day, every day, took every sacrifice necessary and uh, entered the competition with 70 other performers from around the country. And I got a second place in my oh, head. And then I, yeah, and the person that, that, that beat me in the heat, she'd been going for, I think, seven or 10 years in the industry. And she was like, the one to beat in the country you know so i came second to her so i was already really really happy with that um but then i got given the wild card so they chose three wild cards every year and i got given the wild card to the grand final which was two weeks later so i flew to sydney competed and i won i won miss burlesque australia so it was 2011 wow. in your yeah. first year that's how i started burlesque so not a very normal way to to begin a career but um i just wanted to, i just you know i have always suffered from impatience so i thought what's the best way to get to point b if i just win a national competition then everyone will know who i am and what i do and i'll get to showcase everything it also pushed me to create my highest level of entry um performance and yeah so i started from there so that's that's been my that's been the beginning of my journey. The rest has been an epic adventure, but. Wow. Tell us a little bit about some of the nuance that goes into that prep for the craft. Like a lot of times with a small business, I'll kind of talk about these two buckets. One kind of the operations, like what we do and, you know, there may be the performing and then there's like the communications, whether it's networking or social or, you know, whatever that marketing, whatever that may be. Sure. And um, I'd love to hear more about this focus on the, the practitionership, the performing, the ability, because it's like what we see is obviously um, this amazing energy, this amazing performance that brings this experience and emotion to the audience but I'm guessing what we don't see is like, you know, a lot of sweat equity, so to speak, a lot of work. And I'd love to just find out like what that looked like, what that kind of um, tenacity looked like for that, you know, six months leading up to it or even beyond. Yeah, sure. Well, before any big performance or any major thing that you want to achieve in performance, there's always that, um, you know, like you said, the sweat equity in the background, which we like to say that uh, burlesque is the most unglamorous <laughs> performance art because really you're just always, you know, pushing, um, carrying heavy things. It's like we've got big props. Like we do a lot of stuff ourselves as showgirls. So we do um, everything from our marketing, our costuming. We design our shows, our choreography, our music, um, our hair and makeup. We literally have to learn every facet of our entire business from beginning to end as high quality as we can. Mm. So to backtrack to the pre-competition uh, preparation, because I didn't know much about burlesque, to be honest, mm. <laughs> um, my thing was getting my authentic expression out on stage. So I really had to just... Um, actually avoided looking at what everyone else was doing and I only looked at enough key things to make sure I wasn't sort of heading in the same direction as what had already been done. Um, so I tried to keep my world very, very um, insular to what I wanted to create and what was coming out of me organically. Um, and in doing that, I surrounded myself with the people that knew me very well and I spoke to them about what I was doing. So my best mate, you know, in Australia, by my best mate in Germany, we'd, we'd be on calls at like four in the morning and I'd just always be talking about what I was up to next, what I was thinking about. You know, I'd go through my big checklist of stuff I'm doing and I was thinking about doing this and they'd be like, that's great. Or what about this? You know, bounce ideas. Um, so I surrounded myself with people that knew me very well. And then I found one mentor, um, which 
the first time I ever did that, I just knew that if I wanted to do something that I hadn't done before, it'd be great to have someone that I admired or respected. So she wasn't from a burlesque uh, background. Her name is Sarah George and she is now a really good friend of mine, but she was my pole dancing teacher. So I took up intermediate um, pole dancing lessons and she was my teacher and I just loved the way she moved. I loved her um, confidence and she really inspired me. So I thought I'll just get her to bounce ideas off. She'd been performing for, you know, 15 years. So mm. yeah, I got a mentor, surrounded myself with the right people. I had money in the bank saved to move forward. So I didn't have to yeah. think about that. And I could yeah. just narrow in on it. Um, I could just hire a studio. I could just do everything that I needed. Whatever I needed to do, I could do. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's what, that sort of stuff. I mean, the, the, the other thing was that um, I really just believed that I, I could win. I believed that I could win. And um, was it my higher self? Or was it just a collection of things I'd always just had a go at stuff and, you know, you win or you don't. I was always going to do my best. And I think that was something that drove me knowing that if I just do my absolute best, mm. I can hold my head up high at the end. And whatever that turns out to be, the part that I don't have control over, um, I'll be really happy with it. Mm. So I just threw everything of my best into the mix. When you stepped into that, you know, what sounds like pretty much full-time kind of uh, launch into this new world, did it feel like you were kind of coming home to something? Did it feel natural, even though there was a lot of intensity, a lot of hours and kind of this change? Um, but because it had been kind of not suppressed, but kind of because it sounded like you were still trying to get it out there before in the corporate world, but did it feel really good to just start to like launch into this new thing? It felt like, so it was a balance between, and I think this is true for anyone that has this burning desire, especially from a young age, whether they're like, I'm going to be a carpenter, I know that's my thing, or whatever it is that you've got burning passion within you. Um, it was always my, that was always my thing, was to be an entertainer. And so for many of my years in my youth, that was just, that was an option, you know. And then as I got older and I did less and less and realised I hadn't studied at the right schools or I hadn't, gotten a certain amount by a certain time by you know the rules that were around then we didn't have social media I couldn't just launch a career um mm. I sort of started to let that dream kind of die and get pushed down and pushed into the background so when I was going for this there was a balance between hey this is something you've always knew you wanted to do and you know how it feels to achieve that because you've thought about it and you've lived in that from a young age you know, I, I was in the mirror and I was on stage when I was in the mirror, you know, so I lived that for a long time. Then having that taken away, what then sets in for a lot of people that let go of a dream and now want to come back to it is if I don't do this, then I'm going to regret this for the rest of my foreseeable future, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so there's, there's the drive to do your best. There's your drive to fulfill something you've wanted to do for such a long time. And then there's a drive not to let yourself down. Um, mm. So there's always that fear that um, I think it's one of the things that people say, if I don't go for it, then I can always say I could have been a contender. Uh, I would have been great, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like um, the comments from the peanut gallery up in the stands. Like it's a lot easier when you're not on the court. Right. Um, or another way I sometimes think about it is like the only mistake is, uh, you know, when, the only mistake that's one that you don't want to make is the one of not trying, you know, it's like giving it the go, no matter where you kind of end up is, there's always benefit in giving it a crack. Yeah. Um, okay. So talk to us about the driver of growth, you know, because you, you win the competition, you're across all aspects of kind of the business I just would love to know a little bit around how you took charge mm. in your own path, this kind of uh, self-leadership sort of like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because, you know, fast forward now and you've traveled the globe and performed with, you know, royalty and it's been amazing. So how did that evolve and what did that look like in the first you know, uh, six to six months to 24 months kind of thing where you sort of started to get things rolling. 
Yeah, so it was getting to know the industry and how that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was getting to know, like you said, I do do all the facets of my business, but I had to learn all those things. You know, I just, I was still learning a lot of that in those first two years. Um, and social media was starting to become a thing. Like Facebook, you know, 10 years ago was kind of becoming, hey, you should be on Facebook, you mm-hmm. know? Like that time has passed now for Instagram. I think it's TikTok now. Um, but it's, um, you know, it was just kind of, you should be on Facebook. So I was always the type to be like, oh, okay, I should be on Facebook. I'm going to do my version of being on Facebook. So um, I always would go back to what would be my version of doing this. I wouldn't always look at what everyone was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just always been my thing. You know, I, when I create fashion, I just didn't read magazines. It's just always been uh, I want to have a real personal experience for something. And as much as I need to learn technical things and how they work and algorithms and all that sort of stuff, um, when it came to content creation, it was another creative uh, opportunity for me. So my marketing was a creative opportunity. I designed my own posters. I designed my own photo shoots. I designed my own hair and makeup. Like I designed every aspect of my business and anything anyone saw or heard um, or, or um, interacted with my business all came from my soul. Wow. Yeah. So would you say then the social media, even at that point, was a driver for um, being able to talk about you and then yeah. therefore in the next booking so, kind of thing? Totally. So I actually faced a lot of um, people saying, who do you think you are? And you're not a brand. And, you know, being a brand was not a thing then. It was like, if you thought you were a brand, then you know, people just didn't, didn't have any time for you. They were just like, oh, you know, you, you're sold out or you think you're bigger than you are sort of thing or you don't need a logo. And, and I was, I went to one of the best design studios in, in the state and just went, I need a website, I need a logo, I need the business cards. And to this day, my business cards are still, for 10 years I've had the best business cards I've ever seen. Mm. <laughs> so I just went in hard. I've always wanted to be, you know, get my fingers right deep into every creative industry. So I took that opportunity with my career to, to use that as a vessel to design business cards, to design websites, to design photo shoots, to design costumes. I just used my career as, as that vessel. So yeah, social media was very important because I put myself out there more than anyone else in my scene was doing. So anyone else in my industry. So, um, and by that, I meant I was always communicating what I was up to. So some people would say, I've got this show, I've got that show. I'd say, I've got this show, but then I'd have a banner image to match. I'd have the, you know, the, the still image, maybe a video. Um, video wasn't as big back then, but I would just, I would stay up all night creating my own marketing and content. I was just obsessed with yeah. it. Mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, so everyone just always knew who I was and what I was doing. And to fast forward beyond the 24 months, and I think this is important for people listening, even today, I think it's very relevant. So me as a performer, I can perform in my own city every weekend if I wanted to. I could create three acts that everyone, you know, would book and it would categorize into many many different events and I could get booked every weekend just in my own city and do really well and enjoy that. That's fine. And that wasn't what I wanted. Travel was a high priority for me. So I use my marketing to facilitate that future of wanting to travel. So the funny thing was when I was up late at night creating all this content, um, I would be up to like it was four in the morning when I'd start to be like, okay, your brain's not working anymore. You need to go to bed. Um, But before you do, you can always slide in another post or you could always just, you know. And so what, what was happening was I would just, I would just keep putting stuff out there. And because of the time zone difference, I was actually feeding the American market really heavily. Um, and then the European market as well. If I was up to seven in the morning, <laughs> um, I'd be the first one that they'd see on their feed, you know. Um, and so, yeah, people knew, started to know me around the world. This one showgirl from, from Melbourne, Australia, who um, hadn't travelled the world yet, people just started to recognise my work. They liked my creativity and they got a sense of who I was as a performer just through what I was putting out. I didn't even have to put out performing videos. They just got a sense of who I was by my photos mm. um, and my stories or the mm. quotes I'd put up. They'd be like, I like this person, mm. you know, and then eventually they'd be like, well, this person can actually perform. 
that's mm-hmm. great. Oh, well, I've got a show. Now I'm a producer. Now I'm going to book that person that I've known for four years or two years or one year or whatever it is on social media. Yeah. So I ended up um, promoting myself around the world by just becoming obsessed with creating content. <laughs> yeah. I love that you, it, it sounds like a real authentic uh, enjoyment of the process of the creating as well. And, you know, I'm obviously not on this end of the creativity spectrum, but I like to think I know what you mean. Like I, I enjoy the video and the colors and just doing what I can in my own way. And I, I can sense that come through. And I think if you don't love it and, or don't teach yourself, cause I think we can learn to love things as well at times. Mm. Um, but if we don't love some part of that, whether that's written word or video or voice or some part of the creative process of, of communicating, it makes it a lot harder. Would you say that that kind of was true? Like you, you enjoyed it. It was a fun kind of. Well, I enjoyed it because I knew that every time I put something out, I used to call it buying raffle tickets to my future. Yeah. That's how I saw it. So every time I put something out, I was buying another raffle ticket and I was never lucky in raffles. My brother was the type to buy five tickets and win the first three prizes. He was just that guy, right? Whereas I was, I would buy 25 raffle tickets and I'd never win anything, not even like complimentary, not even a second round chance. I just never used to win things by that. And so I just figured like this was my this was something I had control over. Like I could buy more raffle tickets to mm. the universe. Yeah, of luck, volume. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that saying luck comes to those who prepare for it really propelled my energy and to move forward. So I wasn't so much driven by the creativity, even though I love, I do love being creative. I think everything we do in life is creative. I was driven by the fascination. So I have a sociological, sociological background as well through university i studied um sociology then i was really obsessed with just seeing patterns in how people's behavior work so when social media came out that was um for me as a sociologist sitting at home going oh, i'm going to quantify numbers and start to see patterns and um mm. i started to see how people were interacting and then i knew that if this person commented on this post and then they did another five posts then there was a good chance that they would come to my show Mm. You know, and I just started um, putting as much out as I could because I was collecting more chances to get lucky, I guess. Yeah. Whatever it is, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but whatever it is, I knew the more people that knew about me, the more people that came to my shows, the more people that told other people about me, um, yeah, the more chance I'd have to grow with opportunity. I want to, I do want to talk about a little bit more about social media and audience later. One thing I'm really interested in is the snake charming. <laughs> how did that come? How did that come about? Um, yeah. Like tell us about that a little bit. What's, what's that involved and how did that come about? So I dance with live pythons. Um, so okay. Probably picture me with a flute over a basket. I don't do that. Um, So I actually have the pythons on me and then we dance together. So that's my routine and I'm dressed, you know, with feathers and fabulous costumes. Um, And that started from an event where they were actually replicating um, scenes from the film Dust Till Dawn, the Tarantino film. And in that, in that film, uh, Selma Hayek dances with a giant yellow serpent. Um, It's a very famous scene. And they said, Sina, we want you to do the Selma Hayek, a tribute to the Selma Hayek scene as an act. And I was like, wow, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I, you know, I don't have a snake. And they're like, that's okay, we're going to buy you a snake. <laughs> so the producers bought a snake and they had it for about a week before we uh, took the photos for the poster for all the events. Um, and they just put the snake on me. So the snake actually bit the owner on the hand and she had blood running down her hand right before they put the snake on my shoulders. Mm. And it was my first time dancing with snake or posing with a snake. Um, and it was interesting because I was like, um, that doesn't look like something I really want to put on my, my neck. And she said, no, that's okay. I just found out from someone who told her cause she didn't even know how to handle her snake yet. She said, well, it had some fluff on its nose. Um, and so she went to take the carpet fluff off the front of the carpet snake's nose. Um, and it didn't, it, cause it can't see, it's not looking straight ahead. It's a snake. It's either that way. It didn't yeah. know what that was. And it just launched at it. 
So she was bleeding. I was like, okay, well, I trust that this snake is not going to hurt me if I'm not trying to hit it in the face. So I just needed to dance and make sure that when I danced, I wasn't hitting the snake. So that's how it started. Exactly like that. And we, as soon as I danced with the snake for the first time, it was like magic. It was like my best mate. It was like my dance partner that I hadn't seen for years. And we just started moving together. And it was just a natural feminine energy collision. Wow. And so that's your act all times, every time it's with the snake or just sometimes? No, no. Sometimes I'm just doing strict burlesque, which is the classic yeah. piece. And then sometimes I'm doing... Uh, snake charming only and then sometimes I combine them and do a snake charming burlesque routine which I don't get to do too often but um yeah normally I've got clients that want snake charming and clients that want burlesque then yeah they're not normally the same client so yeah I've been doing that for um about seven years now snake charming and I've danced with I don't have one snake people ask this I don't have one snake I don't own a snake I work with a reptile handler and she has about 13 snakes and um, she'll bring any one of maybe three or four. We rotate um, depending when they've eaten last, et cetera. And, um, and then I perform with them and I've performed all around the country. And, um, and when I do that, I just uh, speak to the best snake handler in the city and then they come and meet me and they bring me a snake and then I dance with it. It's that, it's that easy. So I'm just lucky that I have a connection with I love it. Uh, you know, I want to talk about confidence, but one thing first, you've got the giant feather boa behind you. You just, and, and I'd love to hear about that. You talked about the snake. Um, yeah. I want to know like um, maybe, and maybe lead this into the, the feather boa, but this, um, you know, there's a term remarkability and it's like, it's something we can talk about and things that we notice it stands out. And, uh, I pick up like this, this, um, natural ability to lean into what feels right to you and bring more of that out. You know, you talked about that earlier on and it creates this amazing impact and also it stands, you know, it stands out as well. Mm. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and, and then maybe the giant fear of the boa and how it kind of all, how you sort of yeah. do that, you know what I mean? Mm, it's a really interesting question. It's something I've been delving into a lot lately. Um, with, you know, when thinking about what they call now a higher self, it's kind of a word that's becoming more conscious in the collective. Um, and for me, it's always just been like I'll have a vision. I'll have a vision and then I head towards the vision. And sometimes the vision's coming from ego and you don't know it. And sometimes the vision's coming from your destiny or something that you just you know, you don't even, you can't even tell someone how you know it. You just know. I just know I'm going to do this and I'm going to go and do it. So that's kind of the certainty that you have in that. And it's hard because people say, how do you do it? Where do you get it from? And it's like, well, it's authenticity, really. Mm. Um, and always being authentic to me, what feels right to me. And you feel it literally, physically in your body, you know, like you'd feel anxiety that's saying, hey, that's, this is not something you like or you feel uh, calm or adrenaline and excitement, this is something you like. And I've just always um, been very uh, meticulously, um, I pay meticulous attention to how I feel about everything. So whether it's a font, how does that font make me feel? <laughs> that font makes me feel, it makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and I don't know if fonts make other people feel uncomfortable, but there's certain fonts that irritate me to read or there's certain you know, um, certain colors that I put on and it gives me a certain energy of vibration. I go a lot on energy and vibration. I think mm. that's something that I've always spoken in terms of and not really um, stopped to explain what I'm talking about to people. But um, it's something that if you tap into um, your own experience inside yourself, nothing to do with the outside world, you'll get more answers of where you want to go. And that's kind of what I do and that's how I make all my decisions. Um, and again, and it's like, like I said before, if at the end of the day I did what was authentic to me, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm. And at the end of the day, if I put in my best effort coming from me, that's all that I could have done. And so, you know, people call it impeccability or would you call it remarkability, which is a really great word. <laughs> um, and really it's just um, authenticity. 
Yeah, because you can be you can be remarkable at replicating something, but that's not going to create momentum in in attracting uh, something new. You're going to attract something that already exists. So people will say, "Oh, I already I already understand that. That's something I already recognize. I'm going to go in on that." And that's one way of going about your career in business, absolutely, and it's totally proven. And it's one of the things people say: just replicate and tweak that's you know that was the recipe um but i always felt uncomfortable doing that i always felt uncomfortable taking an existing an idea and just tweaking it i always wanted to try and find my own ideas so that's kind of yeah and then people say well there's no such thing that hasn't been done already and it's like well then why am i getting booked over other people mm. why am i putting something together people have never seen before so yeah so to wrap it, kind of wrap that up, like that's, mm. how did you then come about? Because obviously you, you've created this product as well that you were selling. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, you've gone big there too, like literally as well. Um, how did that come about? And was that just one of these things where you were like, oh, I like the feel of this. I'm going to explore what this looks like, what this feels like to go yeah, well, for the boa? This is interesting because it's come from the exact same thing that I just mentioned. Again, I'm just realizing how obsessed I am with being authentic to myself. But um, basically, I had a big bunch of feathers that I had bought to make um, a classic, um, they're called waterfall fans. Um, it's hard to explain, but they're big feather boa fans. They're beautiful and they were made famous in the 20s by a woman named Sally Rand. Um, and this was at a stage where I was creating acts that, for corporate the corporate world so i was creating acts that i knew what they were expecting so when people thought about burlesque i know what they were expecting so i was creating things that they were expecting still putting my own twist on it to keep myself sane but that's what i was doing so at that stage um i pulled back on doing completely unique and authentic and from the depths of my soul which is just so much energy and effort i took a break from that I went, okay, I'm going to do corporate. I'm going to make good coin. I'm going to stay in my city. So I tried something different with my career at that stage. And it was funny because um, I created a, a little studio space, had my feathers, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to make these things. They're just, <laughs> they're just, um, you know, they were, they were too finicky. So I decided what can I make with all these feathers? And there is a giant feather boas that have been made in history. It's a thing. I didn't invent big feather boas. Um, but the way that they were always decorated was um, either just, they were just plain feathers with feathers hanging off them, or there were feathers with um, made famous by Catherine Delish, uh, another designer, um, actually Dita Von Teese's best friend and designer. So she would have three big baubles at the end of her thing. And I held one once and I always found it really cumbersome because they were heavy and they looked stunning. But and I just thought, I, I want to do my version of this. So what's my version of a boa? How can I do it? And I just had, I just play things where they land. I just look around me and I just start making stuff up. That's how I, that's how I, that's how I get dressed in the morning. That's I look in the, whatever I see first, I put that on. That's just, sometimes I like to take too much thought out of things. Um, and I saw, a, had a ring, like a foam ring that I think would have been, you know, used for Christmas decorations or something. Um, and that was around. And then I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I just started playing around with the idea. Maybe I can have it come down like that. And then going back to when I was in university, I was designing jewellery at the craft market. And then that turned into another career, actually. Um, I, that turned into me designing for an international jewellery manufacturer. So I was just flowing then. But I had this idea from my jewellery designing days where I would have um, a pendant with things hanging off it and that would hang off a necklace or it would be a bangle that hung off a necklace. So I was always re reinventing things. Um, and that's kind of how it started. It started with a foam ring and then I made a prototype. I took it into the studio to rehearse with me a few times and this was a studio I would hire. And the ladies that owned Bottoms Up Burlesque, the studio, would be like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's just this thing, you know, I made. And they're like, that's the coolest thing ever are you going to sell them? And I was like, uh, no, I only have one, you know? And they're like, yeah, but I think you should sell them. And I was like, well, would you buy one? She's like, well, I would buy one. And then other people, would, everyone started coming in from around the studio to come and have a look at this thing that I made. And I thought, okay, all right, maybe it's, 
maybe it's cool. I don't know, you know. And then, um, yeah, it happened again. Someone else saw it and was like, you should sell those. So I thought I'll just put it out there. So this was where my entrepreneurial spirit, which I've had since I was a child, um, we can go into that another day. But um, I actually just put out uh, a picture of me holding the prototype, which was made of uh, foam and uh, paper mache, which people don't know that. Now they do. The prototype was made out of paper and foam. Um, now it's made out of handcrafted resin with Swarovski crystals and it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's bespoke jewellery. Like it's, it's, it's a luxury design now. But I put the um, prototype photo out and said, introducing. <laughs> and I gave it a name because it had to look official. And I said, In, and, you know, seeing a king, I just thought it's a king size boa because it's big. And I thought that works. You know, mm. like bedding, king size. You know. So I said, um, introducing the king size boa. I'm now taking orders for these. And I think a thousand, there was a thousand comments or something. Like it went crazy. Wow. It went crazy. <laughs> and I think I had like, uh, I think I had like 12 orders or something. And they're like, you know, they started off at two and a half thousand dollars. So, uh, I was like, okay, well, I better make these now uh, at that standard <laughs> that, that I imagined them to be in my mind. So I then had to learn a lot of new techniques and get crafty very fast, um, which was great because it pushed me to create the product in two weeks. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. I love that. So could you, you know, for people who are, say because i i really love also um to a lesser extent i have to admit but the concept of tactile um gifts and and things in the mail and things that i draw and i yeah. do a lot of work on yellow paper and post-it notes and things and yeah I've seen yeah it. yeah stenciling right. and because yeah. i think that one um one, you kind of get lost into it. Like I just love the process. Mm -hmm. But then two, when we're on the receiving end, mm -hmm. um, I've done a lot of different courses and programs. And when I, when I receive something that kind of I didn't expect that surprises me, mm -hmm. it's really cool. And it's a great little moment in time that kind of draws you into whatever this thing is. Sure. And I was just going to say like how important is this – uh, experimenting, innovating, um, trying new things, um, playing around with stuff and just seeing what comes out of it. How important has that been to the growth of the business arm, which is like people booking you and the remarkability and noticing you and people talking about things and how it can grow that way. Yeah. Um, you know, cause really we're talking about innovation in a way as well. Like sure. how big has that been in terms of your career? Sure. Um, yeah, so creative marketing was something that, uh, like I said, getting creative in every department. Um, for me, it was about serving the customer that was already in my world um, and how to better serve that customer. So I would always go above and beyond. So I, would, um, I wouldn't under-promise. I would promise what they wanted and then over-deliver on that. I was always finding a way to over-deliver. Um, if that meant that I was going to the venue and actually I would start giving venues ideas on how to set up their venue better, you know, or I'd give them ideas on how to sell their event better, or I'd give them ideas on, I'd say, oh, did you hear about this with social media? I'd teach them whatever I was learning because I had to learn everything myself. I produced as well. So um, I learned everything about producing, staging, lighting. So I learned about photography, photo shoots. So I got behind the scenes of all the different industries that I was touching. And so whenever I'd get to a photo shoot, I would help the photographer with an idea and suggest the lighting thing or I'd bring in some prop that they'd never used before. I was always going above and beyond whenever I landed um, in front of a client. Um, I would always surprise them and they would obviously never forget me and they would also then value my experience and my, my, um, my, my performance. Um, that they would then tell everyone about me which is the best marketing, um, and then they would book me again or they would wait for their next biggest opportunity to use me again in some other way um, for their business. So my my business was always a pool-style business as instead of like I would push with social media um, and then I would just pull with quality of service. 
And so I actually never sent out, a, I've created many PDFs, but I've never sent them out. And I always felt bad about it, <laughs> but I continued to do really well. So I guess I, I just let go of having to do everything that mm -hmm. I think I should have done. Um, so my style was um, start where you are and then um, create a phenomenon mm. where you land. Yeah, I love so, that. Yeah. I, we need to talk about confidence, you know, um, I work with a lot of business owners and even, you know, if you're on a call with a, you know, maybe it's a sales call, maybe who knows what it is, but if you're, you know, sitting down, if you're not feeling it, if you're closed, if you're not feeling confident, however you want to articulate it, uh, it's noticed, it's felt, it's a different experience for the person on the other side. And so this concept of confidence and body and the mind and how we kind of, and our posture and all of these things are really interesting to me in, in a lot of different ways, but business is one. Yeah. And I'd love you just to talk about, and I know you've helped women with confidence as well. Yeah. Maybe just talk about whatever comes up for you. How did you develop it? What do you think about it? Um, what do we need to know if we want to cultivate it? Sure. Well, that's, I mean, it's a big, big question. It's a big question. <laughs> Can you just tell me everything I need to know about confidence in every department of my life? Um, you know, there's confidence of the mind, confidence of the body and confidence of the soul. At the end of the day, um, the more you cultivate each of those departments, the more it's going to cohesively connect and then, and then emanate throughout every part of your life. Um, so it's one thing to, to appear confident, um, which is a great place to start. Um, but then if you don't believe in the confidence, you don't have that certainty, the certainty is confidence. If you don't have that certainty in what you're saying or certainty in what you're about to do, um, certainty in your ability to pull something off, um, then no matter how you present yourself and how you act, um, even if you master that body language, um, you will still have an underlying sense of doubt, which people pick up on. And we you know we're very, very intelligent creatures. And I always say like, even with my audience, I never underestimate my audience. I always assume that there's one of every kind of person in the room. I assume that they're all smarter than me. I assume that they've all seen more performances than I've even performed myself. I assume that they, um, made an effort to get there to come and see me so that they're expecting something. So I always assume that uh, I never take anything for granted and I always don't try to fool people. You know, if I'm not feeling, if I'm not feeling confident with something, I won't try and sell it, you know, and if I don't feel sexy, for example, I won't get out there and pretend to be sexy because it's not going to be bought. People aren't going to buy that. Mm -hmm. But if I'm, shy when i teach women confidence i say if you're naturally a shy kind of person and that's where you're at right now get out there and be like i'm a shy person this is how a shy person does burlesque you know um so i always tell people to go with their strengths where they're at right now um and then build on that you know because mm. once you're a confident shy person you can then be a confident shy person that has a bit more of a go and then you can be a confident shy person that all of a sudden is a bit more confident then you're going to be a confident person that's a bit more out there and then you become you know and it just keeps growing mm. but to start where you are and not wait okay I'm, I'm a shy person i'm going to wait till i'm an ex extraordinarily confident person before i go and do anything you'll mm. never get there um it's like i don't know if harry potter stayed under the stairs <laughs> <laughs> would anyone know that he was this magical wizard no and that's what it's like it's like saying do you want to stay under the stairs and wait till you discover that you're a wizard and you can like kill Voldemort that's never going to happen you've got to come out I mean this is a random example but um that's kind of how I see it is you've got to take yourself you've got to take your confidence for a walk for it to develop um and I literally teach walking in my confidence classes because it's one of the fundamental things we do all day every day but we never stop to have a think about what does my walk say about me? Mm. Next time you're walking towards a mirror, have a good look at the way you're walking and what is it saying about you? So, um, yeah, look, there's a physical place to start and, you know, chin up, shoulders back, chest out. If you just did that, I mean, that's how I walk around because I am confident, but I 
wasn't always 100% confident inside, but I would just walk around as if I was, you know. And then, you know, people would probably work out if they were paying close attention that maybe I was a little bit nervous or whatever. But if they only saw me for a short amount of time, they'd be like, that person's really confident. I'm going to go and ask them a question. Or that person seems confident. I'm going to chat to them at the party. Or that person seems confident. If I have to pick someone on my team, I'll go for that person. Um, So opportunities arise to you when you start to tweak uh, how confidence looks and start to tweak how confidence feels. Mm. Then that proof helps to build a new narrative of feeling more confident in the mind. So you can, sounds like you, you lead with some, you, you lead with, uh, with one of the two, but then you need both to reflect back to slowly transform the kind of narrative about yourself or worldviews kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So you show people how to treat you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so when you had the Python and the Python bit the lady in the hand and yeah. then you've got the Python on you, yep. you mentioned certainty in mm-hmm. my mind, I'd be like, Oh, probably didn't have a lot of certainty yet. I'm um, it sounded at the same time, like you still were able to show confidence or bring a, a level of confidence into the act. Mm-hmm. How do you take, and I think this would probably be, resonate with people because they may have confidence in one domain in one area in one thing at home or whatever they're doing but they're not in another area not when the python's on their shoulder so to speak how do you reset how do you kind of drop into a room and then have the knowing you know what i mean in unfamiliar situations is that just more practice definitely practice helps with with confidence um, because it becomes known in the body. It becomes known, uh, it becomes an instant reaction as well. So it becomes a reflex. You have a confident reaction to unexpected circumstances when you practice these things. And when I say practice, I mean that you uh, may may have a situation where you acted out of not, not being confident and then you go away and you have to think about it. What did I do then? What could I have done different? What might I have said differently? Um, and you reflect on it and you understand it and you study it. And then next time something comes up, you go, oh, I'm going to try and do it like this, like I didn't do last time. And if you're lucky enough to catch it in the moment, that's the trick. Um, you can apply a little bit of that. But then maybe you've got a different person on the other end and it was a different situation. So you go away and you learn that. And it's just been a building and confidence. So you've got to practice, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. But there is uh, certain things you can do. Like if you have a moment to yourself, which you do before you walk into a meeting, before you get out of the car, before you see yourself in the mirror in the morning, there's always that moment, that one moment where you can stop and reconfigure, so recalibrate. Um, Before I go on stage, this is something that I teach and you can use this all the time, is I literally just take one breath and close my eyes And when I open my eyes, I am the full embodiment of what I want to share. So right now I might be like, oh, this isn't working. They just told me the lights aren't happening or um, they just told me that uh, there's someone in the front row that's acting crazy or whatever it is. Right before you go on, this thing happens. Something breaks. It's showbiz. Um, And instead of going, oh, my world's ending. I'm now going to have a horrible show. I say, okay, I acknowledge that. I understand that. Now it's time to be. Now it's time to put my best self forward, regardless of what's happening. So I take a deep breath. I close my eyes. I imagine and I envision who I am and who I want to be and what I want to share and what they're going to receive, how they're going to feel when I get out there. All that goes through my mind really fast because I've done it so many times. It's like, mm-hmm. and then I open my eyes, and and I step on stage in that manner, regardless. Uh, it's quite amazing. What do you think is one of the biggest, uh, don't use the word blocks, but mm. one of the biggest thing that holds us back from, from either getting started or building the momentum to kind of get where we want to be with that confidence, you know, whether it's within our own bodies and what we're doing, or maybe it's our business or leading others. Like, what do you, do you come across similar sort of narratives or similar sort of things with the people you work with or audience or people you talk to? Um, in terms of, ro- uh, you say roadblocks or push? Yeah, right, just, uh, yeah, things that stop us or, you know, is there, yeah. um, what kind of gets in our way for most of us? Sure. I mean, I, my course is fab and fearless. 
with Tina King um, because to be fabulous is to be confident, to feel fabulous is to feel confident. Um, but fearless goes hand in hand. So, so, you know, we're never fearless completely. We're never not having any type of fear. If we didn't, we'd walk off a, a cliff. You reckless. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. Um, so fearlessness uh, is definitely a rope. Uh, fear, fear, sorry, is a roadblock for sure. Um, because it's it's all inside your head and it's and it's running all the time and it and it's automatically activated and it's in a subconscious part of the the mind that you're not even um, noticing in the moment without proper proper practice. Um, but becoming aware of what your fears are and what your narratives are that are running in your background um, will help to understand why you react in certain ways to certain situations. And then once you recognise that your narrative. Is, is creating your results, you can then stop and change your narrative. So stopping to change your narrative is something that um, not a lot of people take time to do, but they're sitting there running on this autopilot all day, every day for their entire life. When if they just stop for a second, change that narrative, they would move forward with a whole different story. Um, so yeah, the roadblock is definitely gotta be uh, subconscious fears. And you know, it might sound like not nonsense to a lot of people, um, but anyone who's ever overcome, you know, a deep-seated fear from from something that they'd had from a young age, it's an instant physical relief. It's an instant um, lightening of mood. It's an instant change in in you. Even look better, mm. you know. And the less blockages you have, the more open you are. Um, and so yeah, so confidence definitely goes hand in hand with understanding if there's any blockages in fear running in your programming in the background that's where your confidence is going to come from um, so if there's less fears there's more space for better beliefs um, when I say better beliefs ones that are going to move, propel you forward in a positive direction mm. okay cool so in my mind we've kind of got this like you know it could be not just a daily sort of practice or approach but it's like you mentioned when you walk into a room mm -hmm. um we've got this you know looking at the fears on one side we've got the new narrative on the other side bringing the full embodiment of what i'm going to bring into the room and how i'm going to show up yep. we've got the breathing we've got the physical as well mm -hmm. um you know how how this is starting to really of course sound like a practice like something that you just develop over time yeah is that pretty much what you teach like it's a it, not a relentless practice but a consistent like you know effort to develop this stuff over a, a space of time yeah i teach i teach people what it feels like to be confident so by the time they leave my class they understand the feeling of full confidence because we break down the fears we um we we learn how to walk and embody physical confidence then we get up and we perform for each other, mm. improvised. Mm. I teach them how to do that and I give them the confidence to do that in front of people they've just met that day. Um, and then I perform for them as well. So it's kind of a release and we all get to watch me do my thing and it's, they all tune out for a second, you know. Um, but we do activities where we face ourselves in the mirror. We, we do things where we really confront um, things that probably a lot of people haven't done before. So by the end of my class, people have... Um, unblockages that have begun they have confidence that they've begun to feel they, they begin everything in my class and then yes it's about going off and practicing it so they can do my my master class once and never do anything again and it's not going to work um, mm. or they can do my master class once and go that felt amazing I get it I understand what I need to do now now I'm going to do the work now I'm going to go and um, embody that and live that and remember that and practice that and I teach them to practice it in the supermarket, to practice it when they're in the car, you know, in the mirror, walking around the office, whatever it is they do, how to embody that um, confidence in their life. And yeah, they, they either continue on and I see them soar and then some of them start performing. Mm. Um, or so cool. um, yeah, they come back years later and say, oh, that course changed my life because this blocked, unblocked, or I started painting again, or I started whatever it is, you know. Um, so yeah, that's it's, it is definitely a practice, but there are ways to fast track the understanding. And, you know, the last little thing I picked up there that seems really important is that you 
through the empathy and knowing the people you're working with, like you've created a, you know, kind of like a safe space. Like it's like yeah. a, like a container, so to speak, where yeah. some of those fears, mm. um, you know, it's a little bit easier to maybe let go or to relax into them a little bit because of yeah. what you've set up. Yeah. Well, you hit the nail on the head with the word safe, you know, safety. If you think about it like this, so people think of confidence as something I need to have to put out there. But confidence is also something that I create a safe space for other people to engage in. Um, and so um, confidence is more about, um, you know, if you're not being triggered and you're not judging people and you're not coming from a place of fear, then you're creating more of a safe space for other people to show up and talk to you as themselves. So the more authentic and confident you are within yourself, the more safe other people feel to turn up and be themselves around you. And that's what I do in my business. I turn up as myself and that creates a safe space for other people to express themselves authentically, um, to communicate with me authentically. Um, I say things that I'm really feeling, really thinking and really going through, um, no matter what it is. And um, whether it's a celebration or a reflection on a, a harder time, um, I just share whatever's authentic and whatever I'm really thinking at the time. And yes, that creates a safe space and that creates um, connection. And I genuinely love connecting with people. It's one of my favorite things about performing around the world is all the people I meet and get to work with. Um, but then on social media as well, I know people by their social media names. <laughs> so I see people at events are like, oh, you know, oh, I'm so glad to meet you. It's so good to see you perform. And they're like, we have a hug. And they're like, I've, I see all your pictures and I comment and I'm like, what's your Instagram name? <laughs> you know, and they'll tell me, I'm like, oh, I know you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah. So I don't know people by face, but I know, know you by Instagram. By handle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. It's so cool. And I, I think that perspective on, on the confidence that you just shared is really, really, um, is really powerful and, and a little bit different as well and really cool. Thanks. Um, the last kind of thing I wanted to ask you about is on the social media, you know, a lot of what we've talked about is connection, relationship building, um, you know, bringing this concept of remarkability and that's really impacting people and moving them mentally or emotionally or physically. And that helps build relationship as well and trust. So I wanted to ask in terms of back to the social media, mm -hmm. um, you know, not, I don't really see it kind of as something separate, but I wanted to ask you about what do you think, you know, you've got a great following and there's a lot of um, what I would kind of call engagement, a lot of mm -hmm. people engaging and it feels like a safe space to engage. Yeah. And I wanted to, and usually as a, as an audience, we do that because we've got great trust for the person, i.e. for Cena, right? So for you, what is, and the trust is built because of value and, and mutual sharing and you're bringing a certain type of value to the audience. Mm. What is that value for the people? What do they, what do, what are we getting from you? Do you think, um, and from, from, you know, is it to inspire, to entertain, like mm. maybe just talk us through a little bit about sure. that and sure. how you think about social media and the engagement. hundred percent. So, um, you know, you can break social media down into, um, like you said, value, what you're providing. Um, and, you know, you've got educational platforms, people that just constantly give you information. It's just information. And you don't really, you don't have an affinity for the person. You're just like, uh, I come here to learn this and then I go. Um, and then you've, you've got aspirational. So if you're an aspirational um, brand or page or person, um, then you're you're going about your life and expecting other people to want to live like you. So you, they want to aspire to be like you. Um, and then you have an inspirational brand, which um, I I started off as an aspirational brand when 10, 10 years ago because I thought that if I was being glamorous, I had to be uh, unattainable and uncontactable and speak to my manager kind of thing, you know, and. I did that for about a year and I hated it. I was like, this isn't who I am. I want to do burlesque, but how can I do glamour and then still be myself and will people not like me or want to book me if I'm just a normal person, but also this person that dresses up and, you know, looks glamorous. So I actually tried to tried that style of brand and I hated it. Um, so I moved on to 
um, being an inspirational brand, which, which was more, um, I say brand, but you get what I'm saying, um, in that I just live my life and by sharing my trials and tribulations and my wins, I'm inspiring other people to say, hey, I've been following her for six months or a year or whatever, and she was talking about wanting to do this back then now she's flying to Paris to perform for, wow, it's like, go Sina. So my, my brand is just sharing my journey and teaching them what I'm learning along the way and hopefully inspiring them to go, okay, if I just do that, then maybe I can do that for my life. And so that's kind of what my brand is about and that's why I think my followers love watching me because they're rooting for me. Um, but they also love that they're getting advice on how they can apply um, that go-getter attitude, I guess, to their own life. Mm. Um, so it, I guess my brand is a you can do it um, and, and it's not too late. And, you know, I started at 30 and I've got all this kind of, so my kind of thing is never give up on your dreams. Always have a go. Just keep going. Just have a go. Just keep going. Like that's my, that's my message. Um, but I, I feel like, um the next not the next there's not a tier but the the next kind of stage for me is more of a transformational style brand so aspirational inspirational transformational um so now it's about actually trying to create more tools uh i guess given isolation i can't meet up with people all the time um and that may not be a thing in the future we don't know but um, creating a transformational space as well where I'm not the only one that's transforming. I want to be able to now um, help other people to transform. So, yeah, I think that's what people love about my brand is that I'm always just sharing where I'm at, playing where I land, being authentic. Um, um, and I genuinely want everyone else to have that kind of like too. I don't just want to create it for myself. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Um, I think we've kind of covered most of what I really wanted to get through. I think there's so much cool stuff in there. Um, one from your journey, it is inspirational. It's really cool to see how hard you went early. I think like, I think people a lot of times, uh, want to start something and it's a great idea and it's, it, and it, and, and they're going for it. And, there's a lot of work too and it's really amazing and inspiring to see how you just went into full kind of attack mode on it you know what i mean and just kind of left didn't leave anything to the side and just went for it it's yeah. really really cool thank you um and then all the confidence stuff i think as well i think it's just so much in that um whether we call it confidence belief certainty trust mm. um it's also willingness point, to show up points you know? on the board as well points on the board you know a small point on the board is another thing is like with confidence um you might have this big lofty goal but you know there's certain small steps towards it and if you take the small step and you you achieve the small step for me that's a point on the board you know mm. and then once you get certain points you know when you put the line through it i love putting the line through it everyone loves yeah, yeah. that I mean, you know when you're like you're, you're nine ten that's excellent so for me it's like little thing little thing little thing little thing big thing little thing and i just like putting points on the board my own board um, so I think there's yeah. confidence um, to see it like that. One yeah, yeah. One. Yeah, that resonates with me 100%. Little, um, I think they call it success by approximations as well, like little wins, little wins, little wins. And it, it teaches us like, um, it kind of teaches the nervous system that I'm moving forward and, I, and I'm fine here and I can like, I can progress, I can kind of go to the next step versus like, you know, the huge thing that I, kind of fail over and over and like i think we need to be okay with failing um and setting ourselves up with small little sequential wins is really cool too yeah failing means you're trying yeah i have a um there's a book called the big the big life journal for kids that i work through with my nephew who's uh, eight years old and so now i'm doing it on zoom so i call him every week and we go through a few pages together so auntie cena's uh you know got journal journaling for kids going on <laughs> um but yeah his his lesson that we did just the other day was um if you're making mistakes it means that you're growing and i was like what a great lesson i wish i knew that when i was eight um 
but yeah, that's the whole point. Um, and so every time he makes a mistake, he's confident that he's actually moving forward. And I think that's the same with everything with business, with social media, you know, every time you do something that doesn't quite pan out, you know, it's because you're trying and, um, that's a good sign. So, yeah. Beautiful. Anything else that you wanted to add or talk through? No, I'm, I'm a responsive person. So you ask me anything and I'll tell you what you need to know. But when it comes to what I want to add, um, I, I would say actually I do get asked about confidence all the time. Um, it's probably a lot of women want to know about confidence. Um, and I'm sure men too, but a lot of women ask me about confidence and they're like, but how can you just get up and just do that? I don't get how you, but why do you do that? How can you just do that? And the thing is, it's not actually, it's not easy. So people think that everything I've done, I've done because it was natural to me. It came easy. Um, you know, and, and, and people will always find a reason why I can do it and they can't. Mm. But I could do the same thing and find a reason why they could do it and I can't. Um, but at the end of the day, I've got, everyone's got the same process going on and you just got to decide whether you want to be the person that can or the person that can't it's just a decision because we're all facing the same hurdles the same fears the same phobias the same hang-ups the same traumas you know everyone's got the same amount of stuff mm, it's uh i was just thinking about it then you know i think there's probably a bit of a flip because say if you watch like you know I don't know, uh, a marathon runner and they're going in and they're going to win the marathon or whatever. Mm. Sometimes they look relaxed, but most of the time there's a, there's a look of uh, effort, a lot of effort on their face. And you see that and you can see the effort. And so it's like, wow, like they've done the hard work. Look at this hard work that's showing through. And in your work, the the you look there's a look feeling where when you see it it's like you see almost uh the work is almost in bringing the feeling of embodiment feminine energy relaxation like mm -hmm. it's kind of like the work has been done to to almost provide the opposite so i think when you see it, it's like wow that looks so easy for her yeah um but it's like that's the point like you know what I mean? That's where the work is. Like it's, I think it's maybe hard for people to see that and then understand what's involved. Totally. It's the same with the marathon runner too. You watch them run and you're like, well, one foot just keeps going in front of the other. Look at that. That's amazing. You know, that wouldn't happen for me. And it's because you don't do the work, you know? Yeah. It's the same. But yeah, it is confusing because I'm, I'm getting up there and being uber confident. Mm. Um, but then what do you do before that? You know? So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, I'll put your handles and that sort of thing. I'm Miss Cena um, King on everything. Miss Cena King. Yeah, Miss Cena yeah. King. M I triple S I N A King. It's confusing because there's three S's. Mm. Um, and and people think I'm missing a king. I'm not missing a king. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and website is misscenaking.com. Very cool. Yeah. And any courses, programs, anything like that, or stay tuned or anything happening? Yeah, stay, stay tuned because um, I'm moving forward with some things that will be available to people online that um, wasn't before. So Yeah, cool. So jump in, follow along. Join uh, me on Instagram. I tell yeah. you everything. Um, I love when you do put the stuff up as well. So it's, I think it brings a lot of value to a lot of people uh, outside of, you know, the domain of, burlesque as well i think there's a lot of really cool stuff and just to see you sharing and um you know being you the dancing the like everything that you share there's a lot of uh, there's a lot you can get out of it in terms of um i don't know in terms of using social platforms but also just different kinds of value too awesome cool well, thank you fun. so much for your time i appreciate Thanks it for having very, me very it was grateful. really fun yeah i'll speak to you soon yeah